This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Intel's race to recapture its throne atop the microchip industry continues to hit choppy waters. The tech giant announced layoffs are imminent, and Oregon employees will be included. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, business and technology reporter Mike Rogaway. We talked about the latest news surrounding Oregon's largest corporate employer, why the reboot plan led by CEO Pat Gelsinger is still a work in progress that could possibly pay off years from now, and how other chip companies in Oregon are faring much better. Here's our conversation. Mike Rogaway, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, good to be here, Andrew. So Mike, I feel like we've had this conversation a few times over the last, I don't know, few months. What exactly is happening over at Intel out in Washington County and beyond? Well, so Intel's back to layoffs, and this is where they really haven't been since 2016. Uh, those cuts were huge. They laid off 12,000 people and they were enormous. Uh, you know, they clobbered Intel's culture. It was extremely depressing for the employees. Uh, and it really hobbled their engineering prowess. And Intel's kind of been fighting its way back from that ever since. Um, but they're cutting jobs again because they're not making their numbers and investors are putting more and more pressure on them. Uh, we don't know exactly how big these cuts are. Last time out, they boasted to investors about how how big the cuts were. You know, making the pitch that oh, we're reducing our our headcount by this much, and mm-hmm. we're going to save so much money, and and you should invest in us and buy our stock because look how much money we're saving. Well, this time out, they put themselves in this awkward position. They're laying off American employees at the same time they're going to D.C. with their hat in their hand and asking for federal subsidies to build more factories to create more American jobs. So that's a, a difficult line to, to straddle. And so they are trying to tout the expenses without saying just how many people will lose their jobs. Um, but the cuts are, are likely to fall heavily in Oregon. And that's both because this is Intel's largest site here. They got 22,000 employees. And because uh, they're heavily invested here in sales, marketing, finance, legal, and, and human resources, and that's where Intel is telling employees the cuts are going to come, according to our sources. Intel doesn't want to cut engineering or manufacturing if it can right. help it, because that's the core business. So how much of this is an indicator of the kind of the broader economic you know, turmoil that, depending on who you talk to, there's certainly inflationary pressures and um, the rising interest rates? How much is that, or is this just kind of going back to what we've talked about previously of CEO Pat Gelsinger trying to reboot this company? It's it's much more on the economy uh, than it is. This is not this was not Gelsinger's strategy. He's hired thousands of employees since he took over two years ago, and layoffs were not where he wanted to go. But they find themselves in a in a difficult position as part of this attempt to reboot the the company. Uh, the CEO Gelsinger, Pat Gelsinger. You know, he wants to to beef up Intel's engineering and manufacturing, and that's expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, he's committed to new factories. They're ten billion dollars a piece in Arizona, Ohio, and and Germany. 
And at the same time, uh, PC sales are tanking. And what's happened there is that everybody who needed a new laptop bought one in the first year of the pandemic and Intel sales were booming uh, because everyone needed their microprocessors in their, P- in their PCs or laptops to work from home. But now everybody who needed a new PC or a new laptop has one and PC sales are falling. At the same time, the global economy is, is at, at best in flux and at mm-hmm. worst, maybe looking at some real problems. And, you know, on the last earnings call, they asked the Wall Street analysts asked Gelsinger, well, where are things at? How, what's your outlook? Do you see an opportunity and economically? And he said, it, it, I don't see any positive signals um, as far as I can tell, as far as he can see. And so they're, they're facing the difficult thing that their particular product category is in trouble and the economy in general is uncertain. So they're trying to trying to navigate that. So when will Oregonians who work at Intel know their fate? Is this going to come soon or do we have any sense of when layoffs might be coming? Employees tell me Intel has been a little bit vague on the timing, but very soon, certainly this fall, they've indicated that they're going to take, you know, an enormous charge against earnings to pay for severance and and other costs associated with the layoffs this quarter, so between now and the end of December. Employees have been told they to expect all the layoffs to be done by the end of March. Um, but when pressed, you know their their chief people or officer acknowledged, well, you know if things stay bad, we really can't say for sure uh, what next year might might look like. Uh, but certainly, Intel doesn't want to cut any more than they have to because they're trying to reboot the business, and every one of these layoffs is is reducing opportunities to to rebuild the company so what's gone wrong uh with gelsinger's vision from you know what intel has said and what insiders are saying and observers that you are talking to well as we've discussed before he inherited a bit of a mess uh intel had long been the largest and most advanced semiconductor manufacturer when he took over around valentine's day of 2021 Intel was neither the largest nor the most advanced company anymore. It, you know, he worked at Intel for three decades before leaving to run the software company VMware. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has this vision of restoring the Intel that he grew up in, uh, the company that that was the industry leader. It was at the the, the very best. Uh, the problem is that that's not a quick process. You know, it, it takes a couple of years to build a new factory. And even if Intel delivers on essentially a four-year plan starting 2021, so talking 2025 to restore its technological leadership, and that's a big lift because it's not like the other companies are AMD and NVIDIA and manufacturer TSMC. It's not like any of them are standing still. They're all advancing too. Even if, if Gelsinger delivers that, we have this this bottleneck, uh, this difficult time period in between when Intel still has to be running the business, the diminished business while spending to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And the downturns come at the worst possible moment. It's put a real squeeze on the company. Revenues are, are what, $13 billion below what Intel forecast this year? Uh, it's a, a major hit. And this is at a time that it's ramping up spending. Now, it's, it's not maybe quite as bad as it sounds because it's, it's not like Intel's building factories it won't need. The chip industry is notoriously cyclical, and you could argue that their timing may turn out to be about right when the new factories are ready in a two or three years. 
that, in fact, demand will be up. But we're in this difficult stretch now where the economy is uncertain until business is down, but their spending is up. And uh, they've somehow got to navigate that without having investors turn off totally. The stock has lost half its value this year. Uh, you alluded to Intel not being the the biggest and the, the most profitable company anymore. I mean, I grew up in the era of Intel inside. It was, you know, kind of everywhere. And it was kind of what you thought when you bought any computer. It was an Intel chip. So who, who's the biggest and the best now? And what chip are you getting uh, if you buy a MacBook Air, for example? Well, that's a good question. And what's happened is the industry has has split. Uh, in Intel's day, the people who manufactured the chips were the same people who engineered them. Hmm. But what's happened in the interim is that a, a company in Taiwan, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Co., or better known as TSMC, has just excelled at just manufacturing chips. And, you know, it, it's making the chips is, is very difficult because you're dealing with features that are a little bigger than an atom. And even the smallest mistake can ruin, you know, millions of dollars worth of, of chips in, in, in one fell swoop. Well, they've gotten really good at specializing that, and then you, in that, and then you have American companies like uh, AMD, which is Intel's much smaller and and downtrodden rival, has now you know taken advantage of the fact that they can use TSMC's more advanced manufacturing process. They engineer chips for that, and they've mm -hmm. capitalized, and they are more advanced. Nvidia, uh, founded by Oregon State's own Jensen Huang. Who's still the CEO? Uh, they long time, you know, they were making graphics chips for video games and, and sort of specialized purposes. Well, now those chips are really popular for all kinds of high-powered purposes, like supercomputers or data centers. And so they're taking Intel's market there too, and going to TSMC to manufacture these chips in the advanced manufacturing process. You asked about, you know, if you buy an Apple computer, what are you getting? Well, Apple has taken advantage of this as well. They're engineering their own chips hmm. and um, you know their own microprocessor and sending it to TSMC to manufacture. So Intel lost Apple's business and they're losing business uh, from other manufacturers that NVIDIA and AMD and, and others are taking. So they're in a, a real tight spot. That said, um, I don't think in the long run, having a robust manufacturing capacity in the chip industry is going to be a bad thing. I'm not sure these factories are going to sit empty for long. They may sit empty initially, depending yeah. on where the market is when, when they're finished. But I think in the long run they'll pay off. They'll they'll have a they'll be a great asset for Intel. They'll have a, a army of the the most advanced, most recent factories in the world. But again, it's this squeeze, and it's the open question of whether or not they can deliver what Gelsinger has promised on the the manufacturing turnaround on the engineering turnaround. Your sentence alone of losing Apple's business, I mean that's that's going to, you know, if not a death blow to a company, that's a that's a big body blow for for any company. Well, it was two things. I mean, it, it was a substantial it was a significant portion of Intel's business, but it wasn't, you know, Apple maybe the biggest single manufacturer of of PCs and laptops, but mm -hmm. they, they held this market share is still relatively small. It's a it's a very fragmented market. And it was a, not a huge part of Intel's business. I'm thinking 10 to 12%, but I, I, I may be wrong on that. It may have been a, a little lower than that. But it was a big symbolic loss. And it was a, 
a roadmap for other companies like you know Dell or, or Microsoft or others who who make their own laptops or PCs or tablet computers, other kinds of of things that look what in, look what Apple did. We could do that too, and and it opens the door for Intel to lose more business. Yeah, that's a good point. That obviously the Apple price point is a higher entry point for all of these products, um, which maybe translates to higher sales, but doesn't dominate this splintered market that you described. But it's it's significant. I mean, it, Intel certainly misses that business. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, not great, maybe for Intel as you've described. But w- what's the story elsewhere for other chip manufacturers? You talked a little bit about it, but um, you know, can you describe the rest of the market? You know, all all through the pandemic, every kind of computer chip was in short supply. Well. Now we have a glut of certain kinds of chips, you know, for the advanced microprocessors, for PCs, and to some degree for data centers. Um, you know, uh, companies are working through their inventory, mm-hmm. but there's still a big shortage of chips that go into and play sort of supportive functions. These are not the most advanced chips. Uh, there are a few generations behind uh, that help our cars run, uh, help our appliances run, that uh, do communications network or medical networking or, or medical equipment, uh, power management, and all kinds of uh, functions that are invisible to us as consumers, but are essential in the products that we use or essential in the systems that we use in other manufacturing and and com- communications networking in mm-hmm. the defense industry. And that, th- that part of the market Oregon does have a, a big presence in. Uh, notably, there are a couple companies on Semiconductor, which now calls itself on Semi, and Microchip uh, Technology. They both have big factories in Gresham, and both companies' sales are are doing well. And you know, Microchip, microchip just this past week, um, you know, their sales, were, their stock was way up after um, you know announcing a strong quarter. And and we reported last month that their building a, a new, far more advanced factory somewhere. Uh, it's going to be 300 millimeter, which is a, a, that's the size of the wafer that the factories use. It's dinner plate size, essentially. And they're going to be moving to, um, you know, a more advanced process that they had been outsourcing to others before. And they'll build that factory somewhere in the United States. They're counting on this Federal Chips Act money mm-hmm. uh, that Intel's also counting on to help pay for it. But they haven't said where. They're plainly considering Oregon, uh, where they have this factory already in Gresham and where they have additional land on their property. Uh, they say it would be a $3 billion to $5 billion investment, and we're looking at 600 to 700 new jobs. And of course, there would be many more jobs involved in building the factory and then supporting it once it's open. All these factories have a constellation of contractors who install and maintain the equipment in it. And provide the chemicals and other raw materials for these uh, for manufacturing these computer chips. So that's a, a big opportunity for Oregon. And, and uh, according to economic development officials, there are similar opportunities out there. They just haven't named who. So to answer your question directly, different parts of the chip industry are experiencing very different conditions right now. You've reported pretty extensively throughout this year, Mike, on the congressional 
push, which ultimately came across the finish line in the CHIPS Act, which you alluded to. We're not talking Juanitas. We're talking <laughs> microchips. Um, <laughs> right. Make myself hungry here on this Friday morning. <laughs> but um, remind us kind of what that might mean and how that plays into the equation here where, um, you know, Intel has this massive expansion plan in Ohio, but is that all part of this? And is this kind of a big piece of their growth plans going forward? Yeah, just to, to recap the story, you know, when the Congress has, has approved this $52 billion for federal funding, essentially subsidies to build more factories and do more engineering research in the United States, and in January, when Intel announced it was building two new factories in Ohio and said, oh, we're also going to be doing more engineering there. We want to be near Ohio State because it's a top engineering school, top engineering school being something Oregon doesn't have. Um, it really set off alarm bells around the state in the business community and the political circles that said, oh, God, are, are we missing out here? And between Intel and, and TSMC and Samsung and, and Micron, you know, there's new factories being built in Arizona and Texas and Ohio and New York, and Idaho, but not in Oregon. And uh, there's this great fear that, that we're, we're missing out. So the state put together this task force, which Ron Wyden and Senator Ron Wyden and Governor Kate Brown and uh, Maria Pope, who's the CEO of Portland General Electric, chaired and, and many others. Uh, they must have had three dozen people. Uh, big big names in Oregon. Yeah, those are politics. those are big names. That's a task yeah. force that actually is has a purpose, right? You, we can be cynical in this in this industry about task force, but when you have those names on there, that's right. And a they, sign. they came out with some very specific recommendations. You know, it's it's Oregon needs more industrial land, they need a streamlined environmental review process, they need more in, incentives and they need we need more more workforce development. Mm -hmm. You know, some some of those things are are harder to achieve than others. You know, Intel and other manufacturers, they're looking for thousand acre sites. We don't have that and we're not going to have it anytime soon in the Portland area. Uh, and in terms of incentives, Ohio offered Intel, you know, several billion dollars in, inc in incentives, two billion, I think, in incentives, including $600 million in cash and taxpayer funds and direct subsidies. And, and I think New York offered five billion to Micron uh, for new factories in upstate New York, our economy just isn't that big. We can't compete. And beyond that, you know, we weren't really ready to compete. I think there's broad agreement on that, that coming into the year, uh, Oregon had been asleep on this issue. And some this fall, some economic development officials have said that Oregon's already too late, that we've missed out on the CHIPS Act funding, and the best we can do is to prepare for the future. Uh, others, you know, like Senator Wyden, uh, and Janelle Bynum, uh, state representative, are, are more upbeat. They note that Microchip is thinking about expanding Gresham. HP it says it'll bring back some manufacturing jobs from overseas if it can get some chips Act funding and put those in Corvallis. Mm -hmm. uh, and that there are other opportunities out there for the state. Uh, Intel would like to see some chips Act money pay for a, a big lithography research center somewhere in Oregon. And then we mentioned Jensen Huang. Um, uh, and NVIDIA, you know, he's just ponied up a bunch of money for a, a new supercomputer research center at Oregon State University. So there are things that are, are going right for Oregon. Uh, there are opportunities out there. But we're definitely racing to play catch up. 
And it's, you know, it's a big open question. I think we'll know uh, over the next six months or so how we're doing. Uh, the feds are going to start reviewing CHIPS Act money applications in February and start handing out that money around then. Companies obviously don't want to wait. Yeah, if they see a business opportunity, they want to proceed immediately. So I think we'll get an op- we'll get an inkling of of how the state is faring as far as securing this money, uh, you know, by late winter, I think. So the answer should be coming pretty quick. And what about in terms of Intel's downsizing, uh, layoffs in Oregon? I mean, is there you know this is obviously a like a planetary system in terms of yes. <laughs> its influence in the Silicon Forest. Given what you described in terms of maybe we're not talking about engineering and research jobs being gone, but is there going to be a ripple effect for other uh, economic uh, generators or just other businesses out in Washington County or in Oregon? I think in the immediate term, the effect will be a little bit muted because we're not talking about downside. I think the cuts, I mean, there were several hundred jobs, perhaps more. It was a little opaque uh, in 2016 that Oregon lost in, in Intel's last last stretch of layoffs. Um, I don't think we're looking at anything nearly that large now. Okay. It's a guess. I mean, it may turn out to be wrong. But we're also not looking at jobs that are in the factory, for the most part, uh, that are going to have that ripple effect across the economy, that there's a lot of a big support ecosystem out there for them. In the long run, though, if this strategy doesn't succeed uh, that, that Pat Gelsinger, Intel CEO, is pursuing, I think there is the potential for some some real problems for Oregon's economy because Intel's going to have some tough decisions to make. If, if Intel isn't a leading-edge chip manufacturer, what is it? Hmm. And that could that could restructure the operations here. And that that's that's the environment that Pat Gelsinger came into in early in 2021. Intel was at that time openly contemplating the idea that perhaps it should outsource its leading manufacturing to its competitors in Asia, mm. uh, TSMC and Samsung. And there was a growing push that it should separate its engineering and manufacturing into two. Uh, and it would be a big open question what that might mean for Oregon. But if you had if those companies were separated, uh, if that company were separated into two, either you know, in some sort of accounting way, or actually two companies, uh, it would be enormously disruptive. And that's a big center of gravity that we have here, pulling Intel operations to Oregon uh, would be in jeopardy. And I, that could happen again if we, Intel may may yet revisit that if it's not able to to reassert its its manufacturing leadership. Well, anything else on this topic, Mike? I should have asked you. Well, I'll, I'll say one other thing, and that you know, Oregon is racing to to put together this plan to attract chip makers, and it's doing that in election season, which, in some ways, you know, adds some pressure because sure, obviously, candidates want to appeal to economic opportunity during a campaign season. But we know for sure we're going to have a new governor come January um, because Kate Brown is term limited, uh, and we don't. Ha- have a clear idea of what the new governor's priorities will be, you know, whoever it is. Uh, And Kate Brown has said she'll have a a package of proposals 
for the legislature to consider on day one. I, I think she's hoping that the lawmakers will vote on it immediately. But when the legislature convenes, she won't be governor. And it's not clear to me whether or not the new governor, whomever it is, will say, yes, by all means, approve my predecessor's package. Right. Or they'll say, actually, I, I have kind of a different approach. And, you know, would that delay things? Would it um, be less appealing to the industry? Could it conceivably be more appealing? I, uh, those things are all open questions. And then what happens in the legislature itself? Republicans mm -hmm. seem poised to gain seats. Do they see this the same way as the Democratic le current Democratic leadership does? Janelle Bynum, uh, who is the committee chair in the House, essentially driving the train on this she, uh, in the legislature, she's in a tough re-election fight. She, her district got redrawn uh, in the reapportionment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she could potentially lose her seat, and then who's speaking for this in the legislature if 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 she isn't? So all those things are are up in the air and it's a potentially difficult transition. Uh, it may present opportunity too, but I, I think, you know, in the week and two, two after the election, we'll be looking very closely to the, the new, the, the incoming legislature and the governor elect, whomever that is, to get a clear idea of their approach and how quickly they can move. Yeah, by the time people hear this, uh, election day is tomorrow. So uh, if you haven't filled out your ballot, do it. Uh, voting is an important part of existing in a society. Mike, thanks so much for all of your insight and expertise on this and for taking time to talk about it. Yeah, good talking to you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to some of Mike's recent stories in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time. <laughs>